All right, and good morning once again, everybody, and welcome back to the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Kenny, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, my beautiful wife, Nika. Thank you, and good morning to you and everybody out there listening, new and old listeners and the baseball fans. All around the world. All around the world. Everybody's welcome here. You can say hello to your parents. Yeah. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I hope you're having a great time in Ireland. We just throw them under the bus. Yep. No, they, they are having an anniversary vacation. Sure. In Ireland. I hope it's going great. And right. Just giving you a little shout out because I know they're one of the two people out there that listen. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, we've got a great show for everybody today. We're going to be going through some of the more recent injuries around the league and how they might be impacting things. And then uh, we're going to be talking about some a couple players uh, that are maybe reaching for some legendary heights in the uh, statistics categories this year. So uh, I want to look at some of the numbers, as they say. But before we get to all of that fun stuff, we need to recap all of yesterday's games for you. And on our podcast, we do that by turning it over to our legendary baseball voice. His name is Max Sugarcane, and he brings you the retro rundown every day so that you know what happened in baseball yesterday. So without further ado, take it away, Max. Yes, take it away. Hello and good morning once again. This is Max Sugarcane here, bringing you a look back at all of yesterday's Diamond Cutters with another edition of the Retro Rundown. This one for Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. The Pirates cooled off the Red Hot Rangers in Pittsburgh 6-4. It was the second baseman for the Buccos, Tucapita Marcano, dishing out the big grand salami in the bottom of the seventh. And that was all she wrote. Luis Ortiz got his first win on the mound for Pittsburgh this season, going seven and two-thirds against the Pirates. Powerful Texas offense, giving up only two earned on five hits while striking out four. Freddie Freeman returned to play in Atlanta for just the second time since winning the championship with the Braves in 2021. This time, though, it was Freddie who made it sting, belting a tree run homer in the top of the fifth, smiling as he ran around the bases and tipping the scales in favor of LA, who goes on to win the opener 8-6. to six. The Rays hang on to win their opener against the Blue Jays 6-4. Jose Siri got it started for Tampa Bay, hitting a two-run homer in the bottom of the second. Randy Arozarena added a homer late for the Rays, his 11th of the season. The Diamondbacks win their third in a row on the road, defeating the Phillies 6-3. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. stays red hot for the Snakes, going 4-4 on the night, including a homer, a double, and two RBIs. Kyle Schwarber added a homer in a losing outfit for Philadelphia, his 12th on the season. The Reds hang on to win a nail-biter at home against the Red Hot Redbirds, 6-5. It was the third baseman, Nick Senzel, coming up with a sack fly in the bottom of the tenth to walk it off for Cincinnati in dramatic fashion against St. Louis. The Guardians skunked the White Sox in Cleveland 3 to zip to open their Central Division battle. It was the catcher, Mike Zuzino, with the big bat for the Guardians, hitting a big insurance two-run homer in the bottom of the seventh and putting an end to Chicago's three-game winning streak. The Tigers defeated Kansas City at home 8-5. With the game all knotted up at five apiece in the tenth, it was Javi Baez batting with the bases loaded for Detroit, delivering in the clutch with a tree-run double and winning the game for the Tigers. The Astros rode in like Cowboys into 
Milwaukee, taking the opener in their series 12-2. It was Yordan Alvarez for Houston breaking out his big bat with two home runs, including a big Yordan bomb, a grand slam in the top of the sixth, putting this one out of reach for good. Alvarez now has 12 homers and 46 RBIs on the season, on pace for some historic figures indeed. In a battle of 1993 expansion teams, it was the Rockies defeating Miami at Coors Field 5-3. It was another catcher, Elias Diaz, having a big night for his team, going 2-for-3 with a homer, a double, and two RBIs for Colorado. Veteran left-hander Jerickson Profile stays hot for the Rockies, adding two doubles and two RBIs. The Giants travel into Minnesota and pick up a 4-1 victory over the Twinkies. It was the right fielder Michael Conforto driving a tree run home at the center field, capping off a four-run first for San Francisco, who got a short but strong start from veteran southpaw Sean Manea, who picked up only his second win on the season. The Halos hang on to beat the Red Sox at home 2-1, thanks to the late-inning heroics of left fielder Mickey Moniak, who broke open a one-all tie in the bottom of the eighth with a solo shot to right field, his third on the season for the Angels. And the Mariners beat up on Oakland in Seattle 11-2. It was the youngster, Jared Kelenic, continuing his season of redemption, going 3-4 with his 10th homer of the season and knocking in three RBIs for the M's. Julio Rodriguez also showing signs of coming out of his slump, also went 3-4 with two doubles, an RBI, and three runs scored. Man as starter Luis Castillo recorded his milestone 1,000th strikeout during the game. Congratulations, Luis. And that was all the tales from inside the chalk lines from last night's action. But we'll be right back here again tomorrow with a detailed look back at all of today's games with a fresh edition of The Retro Rundown. And now back to the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast and your hosts, Getty and Nika. Take it away, kids. Thank you, Max. That was great. Not a lot of games yesterday. Well, no, there were some games, but not as busy. Not not quite as busy, but still 12 games up there, you know, yeah. and, and some action. I really enjoyed the Mariners game last night. It was great to see Julio Rodriguez get his bat going a little bit. Three for four on the night, a couple doubles. Um, you know, he's he's been one of those young players that's going through what is traditionally called a sophomore slump, I guess. Mm. Okay. Uh, you know, there's all of a sudden expectations and it can be an adjustment for someone in particular who's 22 years old. So they have a name for it as a sophomore slump. So it's not just him that goes through that probably. No, it's happened in, uh, throughout yeah. history. And like this speaks to something we've talked about briefly on the podcast here and there. But it's when you come up to the league, generally things favor you the first time around because there's not a lot of video on you, whether you're a pitcher or a hitter. So you slowly figure out your strengths and yeah. weaknesses based on how you perform against certain pitches and, and certain situations. And over time, over a 162-game season, you know, and you don't play every day, obviously, but over that time, you develop trends and you develop habits. And teams and scouts and everybody finds those bad habits and exploits them. And that's what happens in the second season is now it's like, well, how do we keep Julio at bay? Okay, so now teams are almost pitching him with a set strategy. At this point, the responsibility becomes on the hitter to adjust. They have to make what's called an, uh, that first or, or that second adjustment. Now that, now that they've come up and had success and made a name for themselves, now the league's adjusted to them. Now they need to adjust back to the league and say like, okay, how do I hit these pitches that I'm not hitting? You know, I have to adjust 
my approach. And that's what we're seeing Julio go through right now a little bit. So it's fair to say that every player will go through at least two adjustments. They might go through more because there's other things that they have to work on. But the first one is when you get to the majors. And the second one, when they're, then you become, when you become a superstar. Yeah. I, I would say when you make that leap, you know, not everyone can make that leap. No. Um, you know, some some players just let their bad habits beat them for their entire careers, and and they never reach that superstardom status. It's, you know, it's hard to change a habit. Absolutely. You you if you swing at high strikes out of the zone. But you, you learn those. It's hard to things. learn to lay off of them. Yeah, well, you learn these things when you're a kid. So whether your father or a coach teaches you certain things, and that stays with you. You have to adjust other things later, probably. I mean, there were talks about how um, certain players hold their bat closer to their body and they swing better. Mm-hmm. And this is like an old school uh, swinging technique. So the ca- the coaches would say, like, I don't want to change that. Yeah. I want to adapt something else for them to make that uh, adjustment, but not necessarily the way they hit or how much power they generate. Yeah. It's mostly the stands that changes. Well, there's a lot of variables in a swing stride some players shift their weight back you know other players have a high leg kick for timing Mm. you know like there's just there's all sorts of different loading mechanics but i think what you're saying is that the idea is to get the hands into the same similar place by the time that the hitter is loaded and swinging you know it it doesn't matter where your hands start like rafael devers holds his hands really high i noticed when they were playing the Padres this weekend. Shohai does the same thing. And, His back's way up there. But they're not, when you look at where they are when they've, when they've taken their step and like when they're about to swing, you know, their hands are back down. They're where everyone else's are. Yes. I don't know how to explain it, but it's one of those things where it's like you're never supposed to mess with somebody's natural instinct of mm-hmm. how they want to hold the bat. It's all about just working with it from there and getting the hands and everything in, in, in that alignment. You want your back shoulder and your back foot to kind of be on top of each other, like making a straight line from the top to the bottom so that you have a nice balance of power when you hit the ball. All right. Well, that's a good explanation. That fits. Well, if your back shoulder is in front of your, if, if you think about it, just if you're looking at a hitter from behind and, and their back shoulder is out in front of their back foot, you can tell they're out in front of the ball then, you know? And Ichiro is guilty of this all the time, but he didn't care. He was a slap hitter. He didn't, he was he wasn't looking to hit home runs all the time. But if you want to hit the ball with power, you need to have your back shoulder and your back foot aligned as like part of the, almost like a wall, you know, that's like you're using to strike the ball with. And then ideally your hands would come through, you know, the zone and and that would all be lined up when you hit the ball, like your back shoulder, your back foot, and then you follow through. That's a good explanation. I, I, I can see that. I can really see how that affects but how players get there is up to them, you okay. know, and it, and it's it's up to coaches to work with individual players and in their swing to make it work for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons why Juan Soto has started to play better and hit the ball better is because he's hitting the ball to the opposite field, but he's also staying, you know, aligned while he's doing that. You probably have to go back and watch your own stances in a video to see whether you are straight or you or not i think that's how you see it the best you go back mm-hmm. to i know they go back to the dugout and look at the ipads to see how they performed i i, I imagine that's what they look at i don't know either. <laughs> yeah i don't know if there's like 
too much data being thrown at them, you know, where it's like, again, I just boil down to like, whenever I went up to bat as a kid, and I obviously never played at a high, high level, but I, I was never up there looking or guessing. I, I was reacting to what was coming at me. And obviously I wasn't facing a hundred mile an hour heat. And I don't know what that's necessarily like. I did I did face some 90 mile an hour heat and, and above. So I've, I've definitely felt some heat from, mm -hmm. you know, as a lefty, I took some pitching off of a 6'7 lefty who was in the minors at the time in Detroit's farm system. So that was scary. I'll be honest as a lefty, you know, like when you see that ball, it looks like it's coming right at you and it's coming at in the night, you know, you hear the ball at that point. You don't mind, you might not even see it, right? You, know, you hear it. You hear it. So, um, but I mean, I went up there, I swung the bat. I remember hitting a ball up the middle. I think it was a splitter. I don't know if I got his fastball, but I, I remember I, I wasn't scared, you know, and you can't go up there you scared. Can't. You have to use your bat as a weapon and defend yeah. yourself. If you go up there scared, you already lost. Yes, it's definitely uh, what, what, what we were talking about was like Julio having to make a second adjustment. Mm -hmm. And to just kind of bring this point back to that, I hope that more and more coaches start to coach the idea of reacting to what's being pitched to you, I feel like there has been like a, a little bit of guessing instituted into the coaching game, you know, a little bit like it's like, it's okay. It's, it's almost like the coach and the player are like, like, yeah, you can swing for the fences on this. We're, we're going to guess fastball on this one or something. And I hate watching batters guess. It's very frustrating to me. It's like, why are you up there? You and know, you see guessing? it. You see it too. You see a lot of it. Oh, yeah. You see it. I, I don't they, like it as an approach. It's you see their faces when they're uh, missed. They like, where were you looking at? It frustrates me to no end because I feel like the Rangers, like the teams that are just, and we're going to talk about the Rangers mm -hmm. later. But the teams that are just driving the ball and hitting it all over the field, they don't care. They want to put. They're the not ball trying to like pull the ball into the bleachers every time they're up. They're they're just like hit it where it's pitched hit it where it's pitched and then all of a sudden you know the pitcher's rattled because there's runners on base and he makes a bad pitch to you and that's when you capitalize that's when you hit the ball in the home for the bleacher home run when he makes a mistake but when there's no one on and there's no one out i don't think you should be going up there as a hitter like expecting a feast i think you should be putting ball in play a lot more and then work as a team well, some teams just, are better yeah, than others. So I this. think if 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 you're up there with no one on and no one out, like a pitcher is gonna whittle you a little mm -hmm. bit more versus like he's not rattled yet. And like I said, you gotta hit it where it's pitched. And then as things intensify on the pitcher, that's when hopefully he makes a mistake. You gotta be ready to jump on it. And and if not, if he makes a good pitch, you gotta be ready to jump on that too. Again, hit it where it's pitched, but it's easier said than done, of course, but like you, I, I would rather see you go down fighting with reactionary hitting versus just taking a, a curveball down the middle of the plate because you were looking for a fastball. Well, hitting a baseball is probably one of the hardest thing in sport. Oh, we both know it. We both know it. Yeah, it's hard. It's All right. Well, we got some injuries to get through here. Sure. We kind of wanted to update everyone on the status of some of the more bigger names in the game. And we're going to start with hitters and then moving okay. pitchers on the back end so there's no bigger hitter right now that's out than Manny Machado on the Padres and while he wasn't having uh, his hottest season by any means he was unfortunately hit with a curveball in the hand this was against the Royals I believe last mm -hmm. week and uh, it was definitely unintentional it was a curveball 
and uh, he stayed in the game for a while, and then he came out, he had x-rays, they were negative, uh, the swelling went down, and then they redid the x-rays and found a, a small, like, hairline fracture. And they did not put him on the disabled list or the injury list right away, but he has since now been moved there, and he's expected to miss uh, two more weeks. He's already missed a week, so... Definitely a longer injury than was first anticipated when all of this happened, I think over a week ago now. It was Monday night last week. I think that's better because it's more preventative. You don't want that little injury to get bigger, more inflamed. Mm -hmm. It's going to cause more problems down the road. Uh, I think two weeks, it's a fracture. It might take it that long to heal. Plus, he probably going to have his wrist taped up for, uh, for next time he plays anyway, just for protection. Yeah, I mean, we just don't want to mess around with Manny's hand at this point in the season, I think. Yeah. So as unfortunate as it is, yeah, he needs to let that one heal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this isn't last year. You know, you have Tatis and Soto here. I know he had an ankle injury last year that he sort of played through. Yeah. Um, But I think when it comes to your hands, that's a little bit more of a sensitive issue with baseball players you need to be able to squeeze that bat you need to be able to squeeze that mitt you need to be able to throw that ball so and don't mean to make it so generic but it's the truth well he doesn't need to play through uh injury there are players that can step up and uh take his spot for those two weeks he'll be just fine yeah there's what i what i was trying to say is like fernando's back this year juan soto's there you you don't have to carry the team through this stretch exactly it is a tough stretch for the padres because they have some tough road games um I think that's going to be every single game from now on. They are in the biggest hole that they dug <laughs> themselves in, and now they got to climb up. So yeah. every game counts. Well, Hasian Kim is expected to continue playing third for the Padres, and I think that's going to give Rugnand Odor more playing time at second base right now. Cool. And he's had a big bet. So. Yes, he has. All right, moving on. Byron Buxton. On the he Twins. was getting so hot for the Twins, and now all of a sudden he's got this calf tweak and he's day to day and I just really hope that that's what it is and it's nothing major because uh, I was enjoying watching Byron Buxton kind of come out and and play some good ball and there was talk before the season that he could be a serious MVP candidate and the way he was getting going was maybe starting to realize some of that potential uh, so he has a calf tweak and he's day to day and I'm just going to be kind of monitoring this to see not not just when he's back in the lineup again but also like is it going to affect how he was doing so hopefully it doesn't slow him down too much he's been with minnesota for a long time yeah yeah he's a, a lifer i think yeah i think so I, i'm looking back i just wanted to see how he's been doing so far but he's been with minnesota team from 2015 yeah fascinating all right and then we got an update to white Sox player eloy jimenez who if you might recall had a a scary emergency appendectomy surgery like totally unrelated to baseball but they were in a hotel room one night and I don't don't remember exactly what town they were in now off the top of my head anyways he had to have this emergency surgery and it was speculated that he was going to be out for about four to six weeks it's looking like it's going to be a lot closer to the four weeks side of things as he is ahead of schedule so that's good news for the White Sox because as Byron Buxton was doing for the Twins, or is doing for the Twins, uh, Eloy Jimenez was also getting, like, scorching hot before this happened, unfortunately. 
So kind of curious. Uh, the White Sox are looking to get healthy. They got skunked last night after winning three in a row against the lowly Royals. So look, the more healthy all the teams are, the better the competition is. And, you know, that's just better for the league. So I'm looking forward to seeing Eloy back out there soon. So he's done with his surgery, obviously. He's just recovering. Yeah. Okay. All right. So who we got next? Um, actually, we're going to just keep it in the AL Central and, and go back to the Twins really quick. But Jorge Polanco is out with a hamstring. He's got it strained. And, and all we know right now is he's going in for uh, some additional testing, which is never like a great sign. The Twins did put him on the injured list. So he hasn't played in almost a week. And it looks like uh, this backup player, Donovan Solano, is going to be getting most of the playing time at second base. I'm, I don't know much about Donovan, um, but good luck to you, buddy. This is your opportunity. It's true. The light is on you. Okay. So, yeah, I want to move it on to the Cubs. We saw last week Cody Bellinger made an amazing catch to take away a home run, and then we saw him land and kind of hold his knee. I think he stayed in the game for a minute and then came out, and now he is now on the injured list. There was no broken bones or anything like that. It's just more of a strain on his knee. Yes. So they retroactively put him on the injured list because he hadn't played for a few days. So he, they got to like cheat and, you know, count those towards his his stint on the uh, injured list. But he's expected to miss another four to five days. And uh, yeah, so that creates other playing opportunities for Christopher Morrell. And, oh, is uh, he filling in for him on the well, field? Well, he can play center field. Yes, he can he play second base. He mm -hmm. can play right field. I mean, that's he's very cool versatile. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then the Red Sox, the man I call, <laughs> what do I call him? Tormund? Is that his name? Justin Turner. Yeah, Justin Turner. Turner the burner, famously anchored third base for the Dodgers for many, many years, is now with the Red Sox. And he is out day to day with some knee trouble, which is too bad because they're playing in Los Angeles right now. I'm sure his his L.A. fan club wanted to had yeah. a chance to come and see him. He probably got a stand, standing ovation since this is his first time back. Well, not not yet because he hasn't played. Right, right. That would have been his first appearance if yeah. he would have been playing. Yeah, he's day to day, but he might be placed on the injured list. So I guess it's a wait and see kind of thing right now. They They probably prefer not to put him on, but if they have to. Um, they will, just so they don't lose the roster spot for too long. Okay. Um, and then the, the other major name here on the position players is Joey Bart with the Giants. He has a strained groin as a catcher. That's yucky because you're in the squatting position all the time. He has not played in five days, and it looks like he's going to be out at least another week for the Giants. With speedy recovery to all of you. One of the best framers in the game. Joey what? Bart. There's a really cool video of him on Twitter where he's doing like framing practice and like you can see like all the work that goes into it. And it's a it's a skilled art for sure. It's all about timing and deception. It is. Trickery. Oh, the catch. Eye trickery. You know, an umpire's eyes can only keep up so much. And it's one of the reasons why I do think that unfortunately they will be replaced at some point in the future. This whole framing might be a lost art because it won't be a part of the game anymore. Uh but we'll wait and see. Possible, yeah. All right. Well, I want to turn it over to some pitching really quick because there's a few big names on the injured list for major league pitchers. And none bigger than, I would say, Dodgers starter Julio Urias, who has a hamstring injury. And he's going to be out a couple of weeks with this. And according to what I'm reading, there's even thought that he might need more time than that, which is really bad wow. news for the Dodgers. I mean, like... You talk about a team that's cruising right now. 
they're they're playing out of their mind. I think well better than most of the talking heads and the establishment boobs thought that they were going to be doing this year. Um, everyone gave that division to the Padres, which was a big mistake. But nevertheless, I think the Dodgers, a well-managed team, you know, they had Dustin Maybach, they had Julio Urias, who was anchoring down Team Mexico down in the World Baseball Classic. He he was having a great start to the season for the Dodgers. Um, and there was even some whispers that Walker Bueller could potentially come back by September. It's not a guarantee. Most people still think it's 2024 is more realistic for him right now. But if the Dodgers were to be making that deep postseason push in September, who better to get back than like Mr. Tight Pants, Walker Bueller himself? True. I, I, I think this is a really big setback for the Dodgers a little bit because they now lost they've two lost pitchers. May at mm-hmm. least until July. And it looks like Urias might be out till July too. I'm really curious to see if they can hold on to this lead, not just from the Padres, but because the Diamondbacks are a really strong team as well. They have good pitching. They have Zach Allen and uh, Merrill Kelly. So they have a couple of big name starters and they seem healthy. They have a really fast team. Alec Thomas, we were talking about this, Lourdes Gurriel. And then, so yeah, they have some really fast players on their team. I know I forgot a name there, but they are living up to the Snake's name. And they're a tough AL West, yeah. I'm sorry, tough NL West team. So watch out, Dodgers. I know you're off to a, a great start, and it looks like Mookie and Freddie are, are pretty healthy right now. Mookie's number's still down, but Freddie looking good. He's been looking good, yeah. They're playing the Braves right now. He is on top of it, top yeah. of his game at the moment. We'll see. They, they took it to Charlie Morton last night, but he's been struggling this year too. So we'll see how they do against Spencer tonight and Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Contest. <laughs> Charlie didn't have a great game, but today is a different different story. Different story indeed. All right, so bad news Dodgers, bad news Giants. Logan Webb, their starter, has a back injury. And again, not a good injury for a pitcher to have all that follow through you do. Need your legs back and, well, if you're a pitcher, you need to be in pretty good health all around. Yes, you're using your whole body. Unless you're Max Scherzer, I guess, and you're just going to pitch through the pain. That made me laugh still. Anyways, he is actually questionable for his next start. He apparently is pitching through this pain a little bit. Um, He made it through six innings in his last start, but he was also visibly bothered by the pain while he was pitching. And there's talk that they might push his next start so that he can, like, quote-unquote, heal up a little bit more. It sounds like he needs a little bit more time off than that to me with a back injury. But what do I know? No team wants to lose a great pitcher. It's a tough thing to accept. And the Giants are battling right now. They passed the Padres. They, you know, they, they don't want to accept that everyone just said they're not going to make it this year. They, they want to make it. They want to prove other people's wrongs. All right. Well, um, bad news in Milwaukee. Wade Miley's got a bad back strain as well, and he actually did go on the injured list. Now they're saying that he might be out for the next two months with this back injury and won't return until after the All-Star break. That's a pretty big loss for Milwaukee. To their pitching staff, you know, a team that is not the flashiest team in the pan, I would say, but obviously is like a, a first place in the NL Central, known for having a good pitching staff, I would say, the last few years. So this is a big injury for them. And I guess this is a, an opportunity for maybe the Pirates or even like the Cardinals and the Cubs to put some pressure on the Brewers. The Brewers kind of collapsed last year and they famously traded Hader at the trading deadline. And that was like kind of not seen as a 
a popular move around the team because it was kind of like throwing in the towel and they were not out of it yet. I'm kind of curious to see where you know, things land with the Brewers. You know, they had a, a, a pretty heated arbitration in the offseason with starter Corbin Burns, who was very vocal in spring training about his displeasure with this process with the team. So I've, I've always kind of wondered how their clubhouse was going to hold up over the 162 game season. And now they have this injury to deal. So I'm, I'm just curious. That's all. I'm just curious. Okay. Just asking questions over here. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. And uh, Brewers and Pittsburgh are sharing the number one spot at the at the moment. So yeah, they're yes. kind of neck and neck with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is a opportunity for the Pirates to step up their game if they want to. Absolutely. Who else is on your list? Well, I, the last person I have on my list that I'm looking at is rock and roll Mike Clevenger. The White Sox pitcher. Uh, White Sox pitcher with an injured wrist. I, I don't know what to make of Mike Clevenger. I, I watched him pitch a lot last year with the Padres. Kind of a, a goofy windup. Then he had this like whole off-season drama with, like, did he beat his wife or not or his girlfriend? I don't know. It doesn't sound like he did. He got off. He didn't get the Trevor Bauer treatment, that's for sure. Yeah, he didn't. Um, so he got to come back to the White Sox and and now he's kind of just been like a hot mess I guess as a pitcher this year I haven't seen much of him but he's going on the injured list with a sore wrist and he's going to be out at least two weeks and the White Sox have not really figured out who's going to be taking up his place in the rotation yet um, I don't think they are uh, too concerned right now they you know yeah the White Sox got bigger problems yeah they so. have they have a lot more problems to just figure out that slot and what about you did I miss anybody on the no, list no we covered all the bases I think Okay. Well, hopefully that gives everybody a little update on all the uh, injuries going on around the league. And we'll we'll kind of try to keep doing this on Tuesdays. I think it's helpful. I just saw this too. I got this wire waiver next to this list that I'm looking at. And uh, it says an hour ago, Logan Webb has been cleared to make his next start against the Brewers on Thursday. So breaking news, breaking news, everybody. But also bad news, Giants, Lamont Wade Jr., was removed from Monday's game with a thumb injury, and we are waiting more news on that. More breaking news coming up later. Yeah, Wolf Blitzer over here. <laughs> I promise I'll be right back with more breaking news. And I always said, how do you know? Exactly. Ay, 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 the, don't <laughs> get me started. I promise we will not lower ourselves to that standard ever. Okay, sweet. Great. Um, all right, well... Before we get out of here today, I wanted to talk about a couple players that I haven't seen as being talked about too much yet, and it is early, but there are two players that are on pace to sort of have some eye-popping numbers at the end of the season, potentially. And uh, of course, I'm talking about Adolis Garcia on the Rangers and Jordan Alvarez on the Astros. And the number we are looking at here is the triple crown staple number RBIs. Runs batted in. It is one of the pillar statistics of offense that we have like judged the best players on for years and years and years. Obviously, if you deliver when runners are in scoring position consistently and rack up tons of RBIs in your career, it shows you to be a clutch hitter over the course of a season and then later on over the course of a career. And it, it's what defines some of the greatest in our game. So, so Garcia is number one right now. Garcia is number one and through 46 games has hit 49 RBIs. RBIs for Texas. And if you have watched any Texas Rangers baseball this year, you know that they are prone to put up crooked numbers on their scoreboard, even in terms of like the five and six a lot. There's They put up five runs and six runs up in a lot of innings. They are just a scary team. They can turn a game around on a on a moment's notice I feel like um 
they can really put the pressure on you. I've noticed they've scored in these games early on team first, second, or third inning where they they're putting up these crooked numbers, and it's just demoralizing to a, the opposite team, to the op- opposition, I should say. Well, they use the whole field to their advantage. Yes, number one. Rangers play one of the best in the in the league right now at, at being a team offense. Mm-hmm. You know, and and again, these numbers show that. Like anytime you're putting up a lot of fives and sixes in a season, your offense is playing well together. But also. When you score a lot of runs, that means somebody on your team is driving in a lot of runs. And this particular person on this team is Adalas Garcia. He's having a year. If if you were to like take the mathematical approach and computate his pace right now, he is on pace to hit in 172 and a half runs, basically, this year. 172.5. We haven't seen numbers like that since the 1930s in Major League Baseball. Even through the steroid era. Steroids era was mostly for power hitting, in my opinion. But I mean, and during that era, some guys touched 150, 156, 160s. Manny Ramirez, I think I I saw, had a 165 one season. 165, that's a lot. Yeah. But these numbers, I mean, like, if you look at the league leaders and RBIs over the past 100 years even, through the 1930s, after 1940, it really starts to wane off. You only have two seasons where someone hit 150 RBIs if you don't count the steroid era at all. So basically, if you re- if you remove 1990 to 2010 or 2007, whenever it was, mm-hmm. uh, if you remove that, <laughs> there's only been two seasons where someone hit 150 RBIs, and that was in the 1940s and then the 1950s. So no one did it in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then... A bunch of guys did it in the late 90s, like Sammy Sosa and Juan Gonzalez and Mark McGuire. Those guys were all starting to hit into the 150s and 160s, but still no one during the steroid era reached 170. Um, You have to go all the way back to the 1930s. Of course, Hack Wilson, the major league RBI career leader for one season with 191 in 1930. Um, but also you had like Lou Gehrig put up 180 a couple of times in the 1930s. And of course you have the murderers row Yankees, 1927, Ruth, Gehrig, 170-something, 160-something RBIs apiece. Like think about that. Those two guys alone knocked in over 320, 330 runs. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm just going back that by years and just randomly picking a year. A lot of 1980s games, they had around 130, 120. Yeah. That, that was the uh, max uh, on RBIs. And so, now we are on the pace to have a lot more. Correct. Uh, well, and, and there's nothing guaranteed about this. Sure. We're just talking about the pace mm-hmm. that this person is on, Adalas Garcia right now. And then we also have kind of right behind him, Al- Jordan Alvarez, uh Air Jordan, uh, the 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 art of the Jordan bomb, as I like to call him, because he just hits bombs. Mm-hmm. If you just watch his home runs, they just look like shots, like no doubters. And I've I've really enjoyed coining, or I don't I don't think I coined it, but I've I've really enjoyed the coined term Jordan bomb. Kind of rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Jordan bomb. Um, cool. But Jordan, right behind him, forty six RBIs. Raphael Devers, forty four. 46 is interesting because 46 and 46 games equates nicely to one on one 162 in 162 games. So yeah. that's the pace that Jordan is on right now. But these are these are like 
numbers that we haven't seen in a while. And obviously the rule changes with the bigger bases. I, I, I've seen so many close plays at home plate already this year. And I'm, I'm sure you could probably say that about every season. But if you think about all the close plays that you've seen at home plate this year, and then you think about the fact that the bases are a little bit bigger, it is having an impact on the game, no doubt. And so we're you, seeing it. Yeah, we always say baseball is a game of inches, and those are the inches right now that we see in play. The bases are bigger. The sh- distance between bases is shorter. Um, you still <laughs> got to put the ball in play in order to make those RBIs valid. No doubt. But I guess what this sort of shows is the baseball rule changes were at their core, at their heart. They were meant to bring action into the game. And, and they to did. me, there is no greater definition of bringing action to the game than scoring runs. So the fact that you're seeing these players sort of on these like paces that we haven't really seen since the 1930s, 1940s, that's that's crazy. And I think it shows that the rules are working. I agree. The game is more exciting. We see that. It definitely helped the time of the game got shorter. And you, you see a lot more players on the on the bases. The ball is in play a lot more often. That's well, yeah. exciting. We should give a an, an, a special shout out to, I, I, I'm still learning how to say his name, Asturi, Asturi Ruiz on the oh. athletics. The lowly athletics, yet you, young sir, 24 years old, 24 stolen bases now on the season, has passed Acuna by five. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite put in the pacing for the stolen bases, but I thought it was cool that it was the A's, you know, because of the story past with Ricky Henderson, of course. But again, you're seeing that have an impact on the game. 24 stolen bases and we're not even a third of the way into the season. That definitely plays into it. It doesn't seem like we've had those numbers in a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm really going to be excited to see if Adalas Garcia can stay on this pace, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, with all of the RBIs, you know. I hope the offense stays in the game. You know, I hope we keep seeing more runs scored than not. I think it's better for the game. I think so, too. And I also think it will become even more uh, pronounced as the years go on. This is the first year we see those rules being implemented. And the younger players that coming up, they want to be more aggressive because they have something to prove. But the older players are going to do the same because they want to play the game. At the end of the day, it's a game. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is all going to be playing into the adjustment periods. But also, I think it's going to change the way teams scout and draft players now. Because where you might have been less inclined to go with like a speedier player over, you would choose maybe a more powerful player over a, a, a player that had better speed. Maybe now you sort of rethink that. Maybe now speed plays a bigger part of the game. Maybe it's a 50-50 toss-up between those mm-hmm. two players, you know, and then, like it, it causes teams to have to make different choices. And, like, I think overall, though, you're going to want a balanced farm system. You know, you're going to want players with speed. You're going to want players who hit for contact. You're going to want players who hit for power. You know, you're going to want a broad swath of players because, as you're seeing, I think, play out this year, it's about team offense now. Mm-hmm. It's <clears> not know. individualized as much. And also, I think the teams that are coming together, you see that right now. You see it a lot more versus the power-hitting teams. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I know. I mean, and the teams that are struggling, I think, are starting to realize it. I, I even saw on Twitter that our, our team, because I Padres. follow them, the Padres, had like a 
a meeting with their stars and their, their coaches to talk about the fact that they are not playing as a team offense right now and how do they change that? Yeah, it's a, you have to have a team approach to the, the game right now. Well, the biggest way you change that is to have a team philosophy that all of your stars can buy into and you need to get them on the same page with that. Definitely. So hopefully they're doing that in Southern California and hopefully it's not too late. But Time will tell. Time will tell and it'll start to tell in a little while. Yes, we have more games coming up today. More games coming up today. Uh, so we are going to put a bow on this episode, I think, and pass the torch. Pass the torch till tomorrow. Pass the torch till tomorrow. Lots to do, lots to get done. And, lots to see. You know, you're not here to listen to us just babble. So <laughs> hopefully we gave you a few baseball nuggets to think about today. And if we did, then, you know, come come on back tomorrow. Come we'll on back here. tomorrow, yeah. And if you want to contact us or give us some suggestions or tell us how we're doing, by all means, you can email us at kanikadaily at gmail.com. And we hope to hear from someone soon. And we promise if you have a good question or comment, we will read it on the air. Perfect. Can't wait. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here and I'm going to sign off. This is Kenny. And Nika signing off. Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy the games, everyone. Adios. Bye. Bye.